And so we're going to go reverse the clock 83 years to start off. And because you told me something surprising about, you, you know, you mentioned, I don't think many people know I wasn't born in Canada. <laughs> and I thought, well, you, you sound Canadian, but let's hear there it. There you go. I was born in Nigeria, West Africa, in Yaba County. Uh, my father and mother were missionaries at the time. My father had previously been vice consul to the American government in Lagos, and uh, the Lagos powers that be sent him a letter one day and said, uh, you will either stop preaching on the street corners or you will give up your vice consulate. And so my dad prayed about it and he said, uh, you can have your vice consulate. I'll preach on the street corners if I need to. <laughs> However, after that, he never did preach on the street corners. Okay. The Lord just wanted his, you know, his uh, loyalty to him. And uh, he was a great bicycle rider. And anytime mom and I went any place, we went in the Jeep. <clears throat> And guess who got this first? Dad got there first. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we went to the mission council house for any meetings or anything. But one of the interesting things about my dad is that uh, when he got up to speak, he, wa he wanted a, an interpreter. And uh, this one time when he was speaking, the interpreter went and sat down and he said, 
come here, I need you. And she said, no, you don't. You're speaking fine. And so after that service, everybody came up to him because he thought, they thought that he could speak the language. And he had, it was the Lord that was giving him that language. And uh, so he had to go to school to learn the language after that. Was this uh, Yoruba? Uh, And now I can't remember what it, I don't know what it would be, and I don't know what it would be now, but I'm sure it's all different. Yeah. Anyways, uh, when I was about two and a half years old, uh, they got a newscast that said all the women and children had to leave. And so there was just my mother and I, and Dad would not come with us. Uh, because he felt he had things to close up before he could come. So uh, when we came home, we came to Canada because that's where my my mother was born in Ontario. And uh, she uh, consequently came to Canada. About six months later, my dad and all the other missionaries that were there had to leave. They came on the last boat that would be in there Uh, until the war was over and so uh, when he came on the boat with the other missionaries uh, they were about two hours from from the American border and uh, their boat was torpedoed by Germans and uh, the Germans were not satisfied with the one torpedo they sent a second one and uh, there were approximately 18 people that passed away because of that. My dad was one of them. So uh, my mother and I were alone and she had to take care of me. And she worked in a war munitions factory for a while until they didn't need the war munitions anymore. And then she went to Colgate, Palmolive, Pete. When she first started working there, the peat was on the end, and then years later they took it off, and it was just Colgate Palmolive. But she worked there for until she retired. Um, and while she was working, I was in the Anglican Church, where we went to church on Main Street in Toronto. Okay. And uh, the people that were taking care of the children at that time uh, had to sit me in a corner because I was very energetic at that time. So mother, when I became around five years old, she decided she better do something with this energy. And we started piano lessons at a very young age. It was not him playing playing piano lessons, it was classical music. And uh, my teacher was Mrs. Mumford. And after I had been with her for several years, uh, she caught me one day and I was looking at at the, the face of the piano board watching my fingers move up and down the piano. 
and I got pencils across my fingers. <laughs> she said, that is not what you do. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I think maybe I got a couple of more <laughs> knocks on my knuckles with the pencil before it sunk into my thick little scholar that I wasn't supposed to do that anymore. But uh, while I was learning music, we went to a lot of, uh, I don't know what they call them nowadays, um, competitions. Right. And uh, I did very well in a lot of the competitions. I have several certificates that uh, I got. I once got the head of Beethoven. <laughs> and uh, however, I was very bad. I did not like theory. And so therefore, I sort of messed around and muddled around and didn't do all the theory that I needed to do. Anyways, uh, we, uh, one of the concerts we played in, it was a dual piano thing. Yeah. And uh, one of the other young ladies was practicing with me or playing with me. And afterwards, she came to our church for some reason or other. And uh, anyways, uh, I went to uh, a public school. Uh, back in those years, there were, in the wintertime, there were ice rinks that they flooded. I had that when I was a kid. I think it was on you. I, now at school, I've seen it at one school since I've been teaching. Yeah. But. Well, this was in a, in a big park. Yeah. And they had a, a hot thing that you could go in and stay if you were cold. Yeah. And then come out. And, and anyways, we did ice skating, Mother and I, together in this big park. And uh, we walked from uh, the room that we were renting up over the big hill and down to the church every Sunday. So we were in the Church of the Nazarene at that time, and uh, it was popular in that area. And so that's where we went. The next thing that came along was I met my husband. Now, and at this point, had you really made your faith your own? Oh. Yes, I forgot to tell you that. That was when I was very young. <laughs> when I was about five years old was the first time that I gave my heart to the Lord. And then when I was a teenager at the Nazarene campground, I once again committed my life to the Lord because when you're wee little, you don't know everything that's going on. Yeah. And I... Uh, so I rededicated my life uh, to the Lord at the camp at Nazarene campground. And uh, after that, I met my husband. I was young, about 18 and a half maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was preaching at a new church uh, about 10 miles from our church. Uh, a new Nazarene church that we were uh, helping with the new stuff. And uh, 
so I, mother and I went to hear him and uh, come to find out that his grandfather and grandmother were just around the corner from the Main Street Nazarene Church. However, he was going to Bible school. And uh, that was in a place called Lauren Park. And uh, he uh, worked in the kitchen with Ma Baker. Not the baker we know, but Ma Baker. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I think every once a month, maybe, he came back in to see his grandfather and uh, grandmother. And he came to church then, of course, yeah. when he was there. So we uh, we got to know each other and... Uh, at one of our church picnics, he asked me if he if I would marry him, and I said, "What do you think you're going to do for your the rest of your life?" <laughs> he said, "Well, I believe that the Lord has called me to be a preacher. I don't know how, when, or where, but I believe that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life." Well, after we got married. I became a PhD. Do you know what that is? That means putting hubby through. <laughs> and I was the one that worked and he was the one that went to school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> and, and so that's what happened uh, for the first several years in our life. And... Uh, was that strange at that time for you to be the breadwinner? Uh, I'm not sure. I think probably it was because most of the men went out as well as working to school. But yeah. because I was doing the working, then he, he didn't have to, you know, go out and work. He had to mm -hmm. spend his time doing what he was doing for the Lord. And uh, so, anyways... Uh, We were, he, he was called to uh, a church in Tyendinaga. Where is that? And that is in Ontario, believe it or not. It was Up on... north or? No. Oh, wow. Just close to a place called Trenton, Ontario. It was at, on an Indian reserve. And... Uh, this was the first time that we had had an opportunity to get to even meet Indian people. And we were there for approximately two years, I think. And this is where I guess we should just say that the term we're supposed to use now is indigenous for these uh, people. When you grew up, it was a different term. That's so you're, right. You're not trying to be offensive or anything like that this you're just things have changed a lot in your lifetime in 83 years that's right and uh before on that reserve uh we got to meet several different indigenous people and uh my husband got to go to a sheep farm 
and watch them shear the sheep. Hmm. And uh, it's essentially true what is in God's word that when they are being sheared, they're quiet. As soon as the shearer lets them go, then they start. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so it was an interesting thing for him to be able to watch that. And we also learned that in that area, well, all of the Indonesian people, Indian people, forget it, I can't say it right yet, Uh, (laughs) uh, know this, that when they uh, do any of their crafts, the things that they make, for instance, the necklaces they make, they have little strings hanging down them, and they have multiples of 10 okay. in those strings. And when they do their their jackets from, from the uh, animals that they kill, all the fringes around the end are mm-hmm. a multiple of 10. And that is a reminder of the 10 commandments for them. Like their own from their beliefs or because this... Great... All of a true Indian this is how he will make his crafts with the with the multiples of 10 around the bottom of the jackets with the multiples of 10 in the necklaces and everything that they make should be a multiple of 10 because that is the, that was their belief they believed in the 10 commandments and they wanted everybody to know that uh this is how they do their craft work and if there was not a multiple of 10 it was not made by a true North American Indian. So is this, though, a different Ten Commandments than our Ten? No. So this is Christian influence mm-hmm. into their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was the Ten Commandments right from the Bible that we know. And uh, hmm. this is why they, they put the multiples of ten around their their jackets and anything that they make as far as beads or bracelets or whatever. If there's a there's a little thing hanging down, then it's to be either five or ten or can be a multiple of ten. Yeah. And if it's not made that way, it's not made by a true Indian. Okay. That's probably controversial. It's now. probably. Yeah. And they probably don't do that now, but that was many, many years ago. Yeah. And uh, from there, we made our first step into the state of Georgia. And my husband was the principal of a Bible school in the state of Georgia in a town or a city called Moultrie, Georgia. How did you make that change? How did you go from one place to the other? Uh, the head of that particular school, we met in s- several different areas, and he asked my husband, when he opened the school, would he come and be the principal? Mm. And so that's that's how we got to Moultrie, Georgia. The first rain that we saw in Moultrie, Georgia, was going the wrong way. (laughs) Instead of coming down, it was going up. (laughs) And we said, 
well, that's something different. And uh, when school was on in Moultrie, Georgia, my husband was the principal of the school. When it was not on, we were on the mission field to the North American Indians in Canada, of all places. Uh, when the Lord called us to do mission work, he uh, asked us if we had faith to go without any substance, like no money, no food, any of that stuff. So when we left Moultrie, Georgia, the pastor of the church that we were going to, which was uh, uh, a Pentecostal church at the time, and uh, he sent us on our way with, I think, $200. That's what we had as far as gas and everything was concerned. We took our youngest son with us, who was Scott. Uh, the other two children were already gone from home. And a dog, a Sheltie. And so both of them went with us wherever we went. We had a trailer on the back at that my husband was a book person, so he had all his books in the trailer and clothes and things that we might need as we went along the way. And we did not know exactly where, where we were going to start with, but the Lord called us to uh, Northern Ontario to a little city called Massive. And we were in a church in Massey, a Wesleyan church. And we were there for several years. We got to know the pastors in the other churches in Massey. It was 600 people, that's all. Mm -hmm. And uh, we met the Catholic priest, the United Church minister, the Anglican minister, and our church. And during that time, our children were bused back and forth to high school, the oldest ones now. Uh, and uh, at that time, we got to learn about the different churches that were in the area. We also, at least I, had children's choirs for the winter time. And we usually did a concert like around Christmas time. And about the third or fourth year we were there, we had, uh, a live crush scene because we were right on the highway that went all the way through. So, and there was fortunately lights there for people to stop and come in and see what was going on. And uh, we did it one year because it was very cold. Yeah, I bet. And so uh, we did it one year and, and uh, the kids that were doing the Mary and and Joseph and all that thing uh, enjoyed doing that. But they said, 
it's really cold. Do we have to do it again? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we only did it the one year, but uh, we did continue the, the children's choir for the, the time that we, that we were there. And about the third or fourth year that we were there, uh, there was a knock at our door and it was the chief from the Indian Reserve. And he wanted to know if my husband was there and I said, no, he's over in the church. If you want to talk to him, you can go over to the church. Anyways, he asked my husband and our family to be pastors of the church on the Indian Reserve. We were pastors in that church for four years. And it was an Ojibwe Indian Reserve. And Chief Wilford Owl was the chief and it was called Sagamuck Reserve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was about six to seven miles away from us. And we got to learn quite a bit about uh, the Indian culture in his church. Uh, we learned very quickly that the ladies sat on one side of the church, the men sat on the other side of the church. The children sat with the mothers. And for some reason or other, the chief had found out that I played the piano. And they had a huge, great, big organ with all the pedals mm -hmm. and all the everything. Yeah. He said, uh, you're going to play with, play the organ for the church services, is that all right? <laughs> and you don't say no to a chief, so you say, um, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and they did have hymn books, and they called the numbers out, and my only training in music was following exactly what was in the book. Right. Like all the sharps or all the flats or, you know. And behind me, there were at least seven or eight gentlemen that were playing the guitars. And so for a couple of weeks, I muddled along with what was in front of me and realized that they were not playing with me at all. <laughs> they were not playing with me. And I finally... One day after church, I said, what keys do you play in? C and G. <laughs> and I said, so that means I should be playing in C and G. They said, well, it would help. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first shot at playing by ear and having to switch from what was in the book into either C or G, whichever they were playing. And so it was amazing that any of the other reserves that we went into on the 19 years that we were on those reserves, they all played in C and G. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so once I learned C and G there, yeah. <laughs> I was, was in the making with playing uh, the small lap piano I had or a big piano, whichever I, one that they had. I don't think much has changed in that regard. <laughs> At least I sure play a lot of G on the guitar. 
at church. So, anyways, um, we had, I'll just give you a highlight of a couple of the things that sure. happened when we were in Massey. We had uh, Jimmy and Wanda and her mother, and uh, they were delivered from evil spirits, Jimmy and Wanda. And we had a witch con converted and con delivered. Uh, and then we had another young girl uh, that was taking piano lessons from me. She was also delivered from uh, evil spirits. Uh, she was apparently very young when the witch talked her, uh, sent the evil spirits to her. And uh, well, what does that mean? Like being delivered from evil spirits? Like what? That what were means, they like before and after? That means that they were controlled by the evil spirits. Afterwards, they were not controlled by the evil spirits. They were con had given their hearts to the Lord, and yeah. they were controlled with what the reserve was teaching as far as spiritual things were concerned. And so this was uh, very positive in these areas because essentially the shaman uh, controlled most of the reserves. So what were kind of things would they be doing then when they were controlled? Um, well, uh, Jimmy and Wanda, they were ones that had just gotten married, had a new baby, and they were seeing knives and everything floating through the air. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the knives and everything had to do with them because the spirit that was there was a jealous spirit, not anything to do with knives. So uh, the chief asked my husband to go and pray for them when he got the call. And my husband said, are you coming? He said, no, I'm not coming. You'll never learn how to do it if I come. <laughs> so this was one of the first uh, experiences that he had of delivering people. And Cheryl and Cheryl got up and said, Mommy, Jimmy's in trouble. I said, yes, he's in trouble. So she said, we're going to pray. I said, yes, we're going to pray. And we prayed for, I don't know, two or three hours until I felt in my spirit that he was delivered. And uh, my husband did phone and say, it's okay, you guys can go to bed now. <laughs> And so this was the first experience for all of us, really, to uh, have that type of experience. And we also had a small church in a place called Elliott Lake. And that was about 20, 25 miles from us. And to get to Elliott Lake, it was up a hill with... 23 curves in it all the way up to the top of the hill mm -hmm. and we had to do the same thing coming all the way back and uh, we uh, didn't have church in church it was in a school that we had church in Elliott Lake and we did both Elliott Lake and our church and 
the reserve church during that four-year period that yeah. we were there. So, uh, one of the places that we went to when we were uh, on our journeys through the summer months was a place uh, where the chief's name was Ernie Smoke. And uh, these were Sioux Indians. And the chiefs of this nation are descendants of Chief Sitting Bull. Hmm. And also, there is a difference between the chiefs on reserves. There are chiefs that are hereditary chiefs and chiefs that are elected. And this particular reserve, of course, was were hereditary chiefs. And uh, while we were there, uh, the chief's brother was very sick. And he took my husband and I over to uh, his brother's house every morning. And we had prayer time and a little bit of Bible study. And he was really, really sick. He, he looked terrible. And... Uh, one of the mornings when we were over there, my husband said to the chief, your brother is sick because he did not do what the Lord asked him to do. The Lord wanted him to be a preacher and he said no. And so uh, he, he was really, really sick and actually on his deathbed when we were there and uh, we prayed that the Lord would heal him and that he would be obedient to what the Lord wanted him to do because he was the next in line after Ernie Smoke. He was the next one in line to be chief as well. Right. And uh, we visited that particular reserve uh, a year later to see, you know, what was going on and uh, he was up in a wheelchair and at the revival service in the tent. <laughs> so he was on the road to recovery. It was not an instant thing. It was uh, a recovery that, that came as he followed what the Lord asked him to do. So that was an interesting place for us to be. Um, That's a tough one because yeah. it's like, you know, if, that's all true then potentially we can be sick because we're not mm -hmm. doing what he wants us to do that's and, um, sobering and, uh, theology <laughs> it's always better to do what the lord asks you to do than not to do what he asks you mm -hmm. to do because you can get into a lot of trouble by not being obedient yeah one guy uh, got eaten by a fish <laughs> yes he did <laughs> And uh, one of the other reserves that we went to was Little, Sk Little Saskatchewan. Was it in Saskatchewan? No, it was <laughs> not. <laughs> and there, False advertising that. <laughs> there we got to uh, meet wild horses. And... Uh, we decided we wanted to take a picture of these wild horses one time. And what they did was amazing. They put all the little ones 
in the middle and they went around the outside and stood there. And so essentially, we got a picture of the older horses, but nothing of the babies. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> and they, you know, they were, uh, they were pretty particular about protecting those little babies. So it was uh, something else that we had not be seen before. So, uh, let me see where I'm going here. You look like you're flipping backwards. <laughs> I don't know what order you're going through here. Well, when we were, I talked talk to you first about the Tyandonega Reserve, and I should have done this while I was talking about the Tyandonega <laughs> Reserve, but we had a Messianic Jewish teacher that came into that reserve as well, and he taught us a lot about the covenants of God under Messianic Jewish teaching. And that was certainly interesting, you know, to go through that teaching. And uh, you got something else there? This is uh, the name of the reserve that Chief Ernie Smoke was on was Portage La Prairie and it was called Lakota Reserve. And uh, we healed a young lady there, a little girl there, and then I to told you about his brother. Right, yeah. So. What, uh, how was she healed? Do you remember uh, that? She was, uh, she was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk very well, and so we, uh, we prayed for her, I think we prayed for her twice before the Lord really healed her, but uh, she, uh, after she was prayed for the second time, she was able to get up and walk, and that was an, an amazing thing for her parents, because... And anybody else. And anybody <laughs> else, so... Wow, that, I'm would love to see that because I can't under, I want to see what goes on. Like it's one thing to have someone stand up and walk and you know, that's a miracle, but you know, when people you don't use a body part, it withers. And so mm -hmm. I, I want like, you know, did these people's legs all of a sudden fill up with muscle when this happens or did like, does it stay the same, but they got to work on well. Like, it didn't fill, fill up with muscle right away. And, of course, as she would learn to walk, then that would happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, but she, did, she didn't walk far, but she walked, you know, like several a, paces yeah. without uh, having to use a wheelchair and worry about where Mommy and Daddy were. So uh, that was uh, one of the things that, that happened uh, on Chief Ernie Smoke's Reserve mm -hmm. as well. And uh, you've got something written there too about a guy. He has changed of heart from hatred towards you to loving you. Oh, this was this was uh, when we were in Moultrie because we go back get back and forth to Moultrie. So this happened so, in Moultrie, Georgia. Okay. Okay, and uh, a young lady was given a new set of kidneys also, and that was amazing. She. Uh, 
she was on dialysis. Mm -hmm. She was on kidney dialysis. And uh, she happened to be at one of the church services we were in right one night and uh, she came up and we prayed for her and the next time she went back to kidney dialysis they said what happened to you oh wow she said well the missionaries prayed for me and the lord healed me she said well we need to get you back to the doctors and do all the x-rays and everything that we need to do to see what is going on with you. And she she never again had to have dialysis. That's amazing. And so... Uh, and then, yeah, what's this Charlie guy you've got there? And uh, he was sort of a funny kind of guy. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> but he sort of took a dislike to my husband for some reason or other and uh was he a church member or he was in the school all right yeah and uh after uh he had been through several different areas of bible teaching then he suddenly realized what he was doing and uh he did come to my husband and apologize to him and and tell him he was sorry and he said I didn't know I was doing that hmm. and it, it's amazing how some people do things all the time and they don't realize exactly what they're doing to hurt somebody else yeah so I'm trying to see where I want to go next. Um, we went to a reserve and Pastor Norman Blackbird was the pastor of that reserve and the reserve was called Elephant Stone, Manitoba. And uh, we... Uh, went back and forth there a couple of times and when we were there we stayed in the pastor's home and when you're on the road you stay wherever they put you and sometimes it's the pastor's home sometimes it's it's uh, a native home it could be any place where they put you to stay and uh, When we were there, uh, in the summertime, a pastor with it who owned a tent went around to all the different reserves and his norm name was Norman Lequette. And uh, in the summer, he, he put the tent up for revival services and he took it from reserve to reserve. Uh, so, uh, You'll probably hear about Norman Lequette as I go along in my <laughs> list yeah, yeah. of things. <laughs> uh, the second time we were at Chief Ernie Smoke's Reserve, Norman Lequette was there as well. And they did a baptism. The water was 40 to 60 degrees. 
that sounds very hot to me because I know Celsius. <laughs> so I'm thinking that's probably cold in Fahrenheit. Yes. Wait, no, I do know that because a good pool temp, for some reason, like my generation's all messed up with Fahrenheit and Celsius and Imperial and all that. Like we, we get a mix because our parents were one thing, school right. taught us another. And everyone's pool growing up had a Fahrenheit thermometer in it and 80 degrees was good like 80 degrees mm -hmm. is great so 60 so like 40 to 40, 60, 60 yeah it's cold and they went in and got baptized in that cold water <laughs> <laughs> so uh they must have wanted to get baptized <laughs> yeah um uh, this time when we were on the road uh we took a carload of Indian children to Toronto. How far away was that? And that was, I don't know, I'm going to say probably two to three hours. Okay. And uh, I saw Thunder Bay written on one of the sheets, mm -hmm. and I was like thinking, oh, some of these trips may have been far. Yeah. And uh, this was the first time they had ever been off the reserve. We took them down to the Toronto boardwalk where all the, the Ferris wheels and all that stuff are. And they got to go on all the Ferris wheels and all the rides and all the different kinds of things. And they, they had a great time. It was a new fun adventure for them. Yeah, it would have been amazing. So now, Let me see. The next place we went was Oxford House, and I understand that name. Yeah, Oxford House. <laughs> Good to have one. <laughs> Brother Weenisk, when he saw my husband, he said, "You're an answer to prayer." And my husband said, "What do you mean I'm an answer to prayer?" He said, "Because I saw you in a vision." And now you are on my reserve to help us with the spiritual so things that another, we need. This is another reserve all now. All right. And uh, we had several, we were there for a couple of weeks, so we had several things happen on that reserve. Mm. <laughs> but uh, there were, uh, let me see, two sisters that were bound with evil spirits that were delivered on that reserve, and a teenage girl that was bound by evil spirits as well. And I happened to be with my husband when this teenage girl was delivered, and she was on the floor. And she was moving around on the floor like a snake mm. would move. And uh, she was delivered that night, and she said, can I be baptized? Wow. Did she have some knowledge then already of Christianity? Well, she, she, you know, these people that are delivered are already sort of familiar with church things, but other things have taken over their lives. And mm -hmm. so when they're delivered, they do know about uh, spiritual things. And so she asked if, she could be, go and be baptized. And that turned out to be 
about six or seven or eight of these teenagers that were baptized after midnight and the service went till 4 a.m. And finally, some of the some of the kids' parents were coming and say, what are you doing with our children? <laughs> well, we've been talking about if an hour and a half service is too long. <laughs> and that was one of the longest, longest services that we had. But uh, it was amazing, you know, to that all the kids wanted to be baptized. So, and then Mama Ken- Kisik sings. And this lady was an older lady, a grandma. And I was, I had the little keyboard and I was trying to follow her. <clears throat> well, she was all over the place. She did not sing in one key. She sang all over the place. And I said, after a while, I said, I think I'll just leave her, leave her do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And while we were at Oxford House, we were at a mall one day, and there was a lady that came to us and asked us to pray for her. And so we prayed for her in the mall. This, this is just like the podcast. You came and asked me mm-hmm. to talk. It's so much nicer when someone says, hey, can you, instead of you having to go approach them, and say, like, hey, hey, what can I pray for you for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice when they come to you and that you've got everything you need. So what happened then? And uh, she was, she said, I've heard about you guys. <laughs> I said, oh, help us. <laughs> because word travels fast, you know, when you're going from reserve to reserve. So, uh Anyways, uh, we did pray for her, and she was thankful that we had prayed for her. And while we were at Oxford House, we also did children's work for three hours a day for two weeks while we were there, because a lot of the other missionaries from the Indian people that come in do not pay attention to the children. Oh, yeah. And so they were very thankful that we had paid attention to the children and that we were teaching them little different songs. And the last night that we were there, the, the children put on a little song thing for their parents. So they knew that they were learning some new things that they had not ever learned before. So. I gotta ask you though, about like all these reserves, because we hear a whole bunch in the media about the poor water situation that's gone going on in a lot of them to this day. And so what was life like? On like, Were many of these reserves in different situations than the other desert reserves? Or they were similar? in different situations. We were on, on uh, one or two reserves that drank the water out of the river, which meant that there was whatever was in the river was in the water. And so when we saw little tiny fishes swimming around in the water, we decided we better boil that water. Mm. <laughs> but uh, that's that's where they drink from. If they've got rivers or lakes or anything in their area, they use that water to drink and to cook with and all those kind of things. And then uh, 
were the buildings, the homes in decent shape or? Okay, now, in Oxford House, this is the only one where they told us exactly what they did as far as buildings were concerned. Every three years in Ox on the Oxford House Reserve, they tear down the buildings that have been there for three years and rebuild them a new one. That's that's what they do in Is that this area. Because they weren't the greatest buildings. Because because of all the winter storms and yeah. everything that come into that particular area. Oxford House was on a lake and in the wintertime the big trucks go over that lake because it's frozen solid. And in the in the daytime they go one way, in the nighttime they come back the other way. And if you're on the wrong way, you're out of luck because there's no place for you to go but a snowbank. <laughs> And uh, then the people, too. Like, we also hear it's been the stereotype forever, because, you know, I've heard both from my dad when he was a kid, uh, is the alcoholism and drug use and, there, I mean, mental health we've kind of got into yeah. already, but was... There, there was a lot of alcoholism, a lot of drugs, uh, a lot of... Uh, not so nice things that parents uh, put their children through because they're the ones that are drinking and they're the ones that are doing the drugs and the children are the ones that Face sort of have to yeah. have to look after each other and not necessarily mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not like good alcohol. It's the junk stuff, you know, that they... they uh... Was it noticeably different, though? Because, like, I might say there's a lot of drug use and alcoholism that I see in society that I live in. Was there a big difference between going from Toronto to the reserve where you, you know this actually stands out or? Well, one of the reserves that I did not go the first time because they wouldn't allow Scott and I to go uh, was a reserve that was 70 miles from the Northwest Territories. And in that reserve, they had a priest come in once a month. That's all the religion they had. And so uh, the people from Oxford House took my husband <laughs> into this reserve. And uh, he said, it was amazing when we went into the the area, the office where the chief was, up all over the walls, there were scripture verses. Hmm. But really, they didn't have any teaching on the scripture verses or anything like that. Now, that first time when they went in, they came out and the day after the airport was burned down, the people burned the airport down. And uh, we did go back in. And we all went in the second time. And we had a service in the, I forget what they called it. 
Anyways, it was some kind of a meeting house where they would normally have services, and we had services in that house. And when there were men or young men that came in and were drunk and were acting up, all he had to do was snap his finger, and they sat down. In other words, they knew that they had to behave. If the chief was there, they had to behave. I need to be able to do that with my students. <laughs> I, I can yell at them and they won't sit down, let alone snap my fingers. <laughs> yeah, all, the, all he had to do was snap his fingers and I looked around and what he was snapping at. Mm -hmm. And all these guys that were had come in yep. were all sitting down and behaving. So he said they know they have to behave when they're where I am. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that was the Northwest Territories, that was, and believe it or not, while I was there, I went swimming in that river that they had, and everything was going the wrong way again. And I'm thinking, what in the world is the matter with this? And it's because of the turning of the axis, you know, and uh, so, the water was going up instead of coming back, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I might as well get used to this. <laughs> so, anyways, and uh, I'll go through some of these ones here now. Uh, we were asked to go into a reserved that it took us three and a half hours to get there on a bumpy, rocky, holy road with all bumps and everything in it. When we got there, we got onto a small boat that took us another two and a half hours to get to where we had to go. And I thought, oh my, my. So, When we were on this boat, we had to portage twice because of the falls and the rapids and all that thing. So, and they had what they call a log roll pull. And you pulled the boat from one side up the log roll and then you portaged and went in on the other side. And, uh, the waterfalls that we were portaging around were why we had to go up on the log roll. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course now that is, is you don't have to pull it by hand. They've got it so that it, it's done on a, on a chain thing. But when we were there, it was not on a chain thing. But, uh, and when we got to that reserve, uh, it was called uh, Pecanticum Reserve, Indian Reserve. Uh, and the mothers on that reserve fed their babies until they were three years old. Well, that would turn some heads. And uh, the meat that the mothers ate was meat that had a lot of fat in it, 
So when the babies were six months old, they were huge, big babies because of all that fat that mama was feeding them. Mm -hmm. So anyways, uh, the meat was moose meat. And uh, when we came back from Kapajgum, the uh, driver of the boat said, uh, we're going to shoot the rapids this time. And my son was up yelling and hollering, oh, goody, 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 I can see, I can see. So you and had he kids said, at some point during, we missed that. <laughs> Where did the kids come in? My, our son. Yeah. Yeah. When, well, he was with us when, whenever, wherever we were traveling. But we, we didn't touch on, like, when you had kids. Kid. Oh. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, we just, some, like, character entered the scene. <laughs> there we stage go. Stage left. Actually, uh, this child was the youngest child, and we adopted him uh, because uh, I had had surgery that I couldn't have any more children, and so we adopted him. And, uh, and how many kids are there? There's uh, the oldest boy, then Cheryl, and then there was Scott. Okay. So that was three. And uh, so when we, when my son got up jumping around, the driver said, "No, you will not. You will lay down on the bottom of the boat and don't move." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, but I want to see." He said. No, you can't see. If you want to see, you'll be in the water freezing cold. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, that was our trip to Pecantecum. And uh, portaging around the rapids and then going through them, coming back, and then our three-and-a-half road trip back uh, from the water. So... The next reserve that we were on was called Pegwis Reserve, and there was three churches on that reserve. And uh, there was a tent at the end of one of the one of the churches, and they used that in the summertime for revival services. Right. And uh, they. Uh, The other two churches were called Prince, Prince Memorial Chapel and Dallas Chapel. And for some reason or other, I don't know have the name of the church where the tent was by. Uh, but uh, we were in that area for several weeks. And uh, let me see if I can... Why can I not find what I want? Of course. Um, okay. Uh, I hope I didn't skip something here. No, I didn't. Uh, anyways, we were on the Pegasus Reserve for about a couple of weeks, and we stayed with a company that... A, a company? A couple that had uh, cows, cattle, and uh, we worked while we were staying with them. We piled wood. We, you know, yeah. did all that stuff to help. And one day, uh, 
the couple told my husband that uh, they were going to be gone for a couple of hours. They were going into town and uh, there was a mama calf that was about to give birth, but she should be fine. But just in case, this is what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, what happened? We had a baby calf while they were gone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, their name was Alvin and Wanda Ross, and they were in Hudson, Manitoba. And they were the people that uh, also went to uh, the church where there were three churches on that reserve. And uh, they had a, held a house church at the farm. And they had a thing that they called a water trough that has a, a stove funnel, a, a whole stove in the water trough. Hmm. And they used that in the wintertime because everything freezes over. And the only way that they can keep the ice out of that water trough is to keep a fire burning in it all the time so that the cattle have something to drink. Right, yeah, yeah. So, we did go to a ball game while we were there. <laughs> and it was, uh, what, what do they call these things? Uh, Anyways, it wasn't a regular ball game, but it was 9.42 p.m. at night, and the sun was just starting to go down. So they had enough light to do their ball game without yeah. <laughs> worrying about lights. And... So uh, this whole time, have you still been going back to Georgia as well? Yes. Right. So like, these are just summer times. These are summer times. And when school starts, which is September, yeah. then we had to be back in time for school. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I'll go on and finish this first, and then I'll go back and tell you about what happened one year when we were at the school. We were at Cross Lake Narrows, which is a Cree nation. And a wonderful, wonderful tornado decided to come through when we had the tent up for revival services. And, uh, as all of the things were blowing down and the tent was coming down, my husband said, I'll take the equipment back to the house and you need to come as soon as you can. Well, he finally came and found me. He said, what are you doing here? I said, these teenagers want to have the Lord come into their hearts. He said, the tent's coming down. I said, I don't care. <laughs> if the tent wants to come down, it'll come down. And meanwhile, we're going to lead these teenagers to the Lord. So we stayed there and then the tent started coming down farther and farther, and in the morning it was on the ground, <laughs> and everything was mud. You know, on reserves, things are muddy. So, uh, anyways, uh, that was uh, 
one of the last places that we went that year, and then we came back home. And when we were back home, then we were uh, at Chief, Sal Chief Al's Reserves, and they received brand new pews from the military base in that area because the military base was putting all new pews into their church. And I have no idea how the chief got in touch with these people, but somehow he got in touch with these people. And uh, they came and brought all the pews. And the Sunday that they came, we knew the military people were there because they were all lined up straight in the line all the way down the parking lot. <laughs> and uh, they uh, dedicated the pews and everything that same day when, when they were all there. And uh, the chief gave the lieutenant the head lieutenant, uh, uh, a beautiful leather coat, you know, with all, all the trimmings. And uh, so uh, that was how they got their new pews. And that was at Chief Owl's church. Okay, now I'm going to, going to tell you a little bit about God's protection. Cool. Doug was driving and the car went into a skid and the trailer came around to meet the car. We could have been in a serious accident. Uh, and of course, all the roads at that time did not have salt and all that stuff on when the weather was bad, you know, so. Yeah. And the next time I was driving, it was late at night, and a big bird smashed into the car. Fortunately, taking off the rearview mirror on my side of the car. Again, no serious accident, just a, mis just a mirror. We have had 45 years of blessedness at the hand of a loving and merciful God. Mm -hmm. So, now, I was going to tell you about what happened when we got back to the school that year. Uh, that particular year apparently was tornado time. And we were in at least three tornadoes that year. And one of the tornadoes came through when we were having a church service. Uh, I don't know how far we were away, about 10 miles away from, from the school. school, And we were there three hours, I think, before that tornado stopped roaring around really? that church. And uh, we sang an old, old-timey song, When the Storm Passes Over and the Thunder Roars No More. <laughs> <laughs> But we sang that song the whole three hours we were there and had prayer time as well. So, uh, and then of course, when we got out, we had to go through mud to get back to the school. 
So there you go. Fine. We're always in mud. <laughs> I feel like people down there probably always wonder why the heck we live up here in Canada where it gets so cold. But then we think, why are they living where there's tornadoes blowing through? And it feels like no matter where, you, like you got to pick your poison. What are you going to deal with? <laughs> can be earthquakes? Can be cold? Is it can be El Nino? <laughs> and when we were living, uh, after we were finished with the school, we moved up to a place called Macon, Georgia, and uh, we had a wonderful tornado come through there as well, and it put a big hole in my roof, and uh, several trees down around the house, and the people that were coming to repair the house said, uh, do you have any place else to go? I said, no. I said, why? He said, well, there's a big tree up on your roof and it could come through. I said, no, it'll stay there. He said, what do you mean it'll stay there? The Lord will keep it there. <laughs> he said, you're sure? I said, yes, sir, I'm sure. I'm not going any place. <laughs> he looked at me and said, okay, it's your house. <laughs> But it did. It stayed there until they came and fixed the roof. <laughs> and why did you guys move there? Because we were finished at the Bible school. Yeah. So what were you doing then? So uh, during the time that my husband was teaching in the Bible school, I went back to school oh. and took my RN nursing degree because they would not accept my Canadian degree. Uh, because I was uh, what they call, well, we called them LPNs, which was the next one down from the RNs. Anyways, uh, all my marks in Canada had not been saved because they didn't have anything to save them on at the time. So I went back to school. <laughs> and... Uh, I uh, I think I was the oldest person in that class. How old were you about this time? 50s. Okay. I was in my 50s because I graduated in 53, 1953. And uh, I had an interesting professor for my English course. And like we started, you know, down where we were supposed to know everything. And I kept going to him and I said, I did not learn this in school. He said, yes, you did. <laughs> I said, I did not learn this in school. I argued with him, I did. He said, yes, you did. I said, well, okay, if you say so, but I didn't learn this. <laughs> and unfortunately, I got a wonderful C huh. in his class. However, I did keep him for my English professor, and as we went on through the years, I wound up with A's. So I was, you know, he probably thumped it into my head that, yes, I did have that English, <laughs> and I better remember it. So, but uh, at the end of my nursing school, I was put on the dean's list along with another young man in the, in the class, 
and uh, it would it was because of the improvement that we had made throughout the years that we were there. So, so I did not uh, get all perfect days or anything, but yeah. I kept on improving and was, you know, uh, I forget what level I was at when I graduated, but enough to be on a dean's list. And I thought, okay, <laughs> that's nice. What was your husband doing during this? He was, he was, uh, he was working. Yeah. He as, was working. What was he working as though now? <laughs> was he preaching still? Or? No, he was working in, uh, uh, oh, um, it wasn't a hotel, but it was a motel, yeah. you know, where they had separate rooms and he was, he was working there and. When we came on up to Macon, he continued to do that kind of work because he was, he had by that time uh, not had very good health. He was having kidney problems and all this kind of stuff. So when he came up to Macon, he just continued on in that, that not stressful area. Well, I just talked with my friend on the previous podcast. Um, about making a change from like he was doing like your husband was doing full-time ministry like traditional full-time ministry mm -hmm. i can't do the quotes the air quotes over the voice but i'm doing them <laughs> uh to you know what we people call regular work was that hard for you guys to have gone from just you're constantly just doing uh well it certainly was different but Knowing that my husband was as sick as he was, I would probably have to uh, be the one to bring money in to the home. Yeah. And so uh, I started nursing and uh, worked on, the, on a heart floor for five years, got to know a lot about what goes on with the heart. And then after a while I went into uh, hospice nursing and uh, stayed in that until I retired mm -hmm. and uh, I retired when I was 75 years old <laughs> they allowed me to work that long <laughs> so you stayed in Georgia from basically how old were you when you went to Georgia um uh, well we were there uh 35 years so that was as old like as... after, you know, after, well, I'm I didn't have my nursing so I didn't lot. even have my nursing degree when we yeah. started in Georgia. So I yeah. went ahead and did that. And, so and 35 years from when you arrived in Georgia yes. to when you left? When we left. Okay. And we, I le left uh, four years ago from coming back to Canada, or yeah. to come back to Canada. So that was uh, 2017. Yeah, and I mentioned to you, and I'll just say for everyone else, like, I think when you came to our church, which was Evangel at the time, I, I came back from overseas. I think this is when I, yeah, this is when I was studying and doing my master's in England. Mm. And when I came back, all of a sudden you're there, and 
you know, there, we weren't getting that many new people around, so it stands out. And I never really knew until now what your story was, but I always kind of wondered because I thought, like, you know, how did this person end up at our little <laughs> church? Uh -huh. So why don't we hear that part? Well, the reason I ended up at your little church is because my daughter lives in Kitchener as well. And uh, she finally said, Mom, it's time for you to come home. I said, okay, if you say so. So anyways, uh, she came and got me and we uh, came across the border in the middle of the night with a car packed full of everything. You know, not right. everything, but the things that we could bring. Yeah. We had to live, leave a lot of the things there because I was in a house uh, when I was in Georgia. So uh, I came back and uh, stayed with Cheryl and John and Brad for the first year. And then uh, we figured out that probably I had an enough money to go ahead and look for an apartment for myself so that's why I'm in a, an apartment by myself and uh, during the time that we were at Evangel uh, Judy needed some help in the office so I went and helped her uh, a couple of days a week and uh, I'm still helping her uh, with some of the things that need to be done around the new church Verity and uh, I'm thankful that I have a little bit of time to do church work as well as, as do the other things that I'm doing. And uh, after we got here, the Lord told me that I needed to go to Columbia with Sharon Baker can we, when she was going. Can we just back up a little bit too? Did your husband come with you back No, he was passed away by then. Okay. So, He's been gone for 14 years. Okay. So and how did you make it through that? Uh, well, I was working nights at the time, and I used to call home at night uh, to let them know I was on my way home because it was 15 miles from, from where we lived. And I didn't get an answer. And I thought, what in the world's going on? And so when I got there, he was gone that night. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had been on dialysis for a couple of years and uh, they could not get a proper uh, uh, line. Yeah. So it was in his neck. Uh, normally they put them in their arms yeah. or different places like that. And uh, I asked him before I left that night, I said, do you want to, the, some of the men of the church to come over? You know, he said, no, I'm fine. I said, okay, I'm just asking because somebody will come over and stay with you if you want. No, I'm okay. And when I got home, he was not okay. Mm -hmm. He was gone. But uh, it was it was a little bit difficult, but I knew that he was not well. and. If it had been a a, a quick thing, it would have been different. Right. But I already knew that he was not well and that the Lord would probably take him sometime soon, which he did. And uh, so uh, I continued to nurse. And uh, 
Uh, were all the kids in Canada? Every everybody was in Canada. Yes, right. and uh, uh, that sound like I'm I'm guessing everyone came back to Georgia when he passed. Uh, yes. Uh, is it just uh, you? Right now, I'm just picturing you being alone at this time. And right. I'm like this is not. Yeah. Well, Cheryl came and and Scott came and uh, uh, Mark came. Uh, Mark's wife didn't come because she because she's not a good traveler, and uh, so they all did come and uh, Cheryl stayed the longest and the rest of them had to get back home, yeah. you know, to work. But, uh, uh, and then, uh, we have had, uh, some other deaths in the family. Uh, Scott's wife killed their youngest child, uh, smothered her and, uh, about three years later, my son passed away, Scott. Mm -hmm. So there's only two children living. Uh, my husband passed away in 05. Uh, the little baby passed away in 2007, and Scott passed away in 2011. Wow. So uh, I have had quite a few deaths through my married life and <laughs> mm -hmm. through when I was a little baby girl. So, but the Lord is always good. And when the Lord took Scott, I said, Lord, it's okay. He's yours. And I was not that far ahead. I don't think when my husband passed and when little uh, Jamie Lee passed, but uh, I had learned a few things and and got to know that we have to turn our complete and whole lives over to Jesus, and that He is the one that takes care of us, not necessarily us. Mm -hmm. And He will lead and guide and direct us and whatever road he wants us to go down. And I have no idea what that's going to be for the next few years, but we'll find out yeah. as it comes along. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that quite the story. Uh, no, no idea where, like, where this was going. Once you told me that you were born in Africa, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this story's going to have some twists and turns to it. <laughs> no, we did try to go back to Africa one time, but uh, both of our children had club feet, the older children, mm. and they, they did not have the medical facilities to deal with that. So we never did get to go back to Africa. So We've got to ask with all the media that came out this past summer, I think, about what's gone, the revelations or... I mean, I, I don't even know if there's anything new, but the extent maybe of it was new or just the proof of that they had found the bodies on the, uh, the children's bodies and all that. And like with you having spent so much time working 
on these reserves, how did you respond to that news? Well, it, it was, uh, I guess the word I'll use is devastating. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure there may be others that are around that they have not found yet. And uh, the only thing that is helpful is that the parents get to know what happened to the children and that they were able to finally uh, put a close on that time mm. of their life. Were you at all, I don't know, around or saw the residential schools? No, uh, I, I have heard that they uh, have sent some of their children to residential schools and when they get to residential schools, they don't like it mm -hmm. because it's nothing like home. Right. And did any of those kids you worked with, were they ever ones, do you know, that went and then were Not back? That, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I just know that they did send them periodically to residential schools and the children that went did not like residential schools at all because it was nothing like the schools at home and, you know, being able to go out and, and hunt wild animals and fish and all this kind of stuff that they would normally do they couldn't do it at a residential school. Yeah. Essentially, it was yeah. a lockdown police. <laughs> right. And you did just start to mention Colombia. And, I mean, you and I are in the Spanish Bible study group together. Right. So, and you mentioned you are doing Spanish on Duolingo, too. So, did that, is all that because you went to Colombia? Yes, the Spanish learning is because I went to Colombia because when I was there, Dr. Jenny said, you need to learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, really? She's a doctor. You have to listen to her. Yes. I said, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, I am learning Spanish. I don't know whether I will ever have the opportunity to go back or not, but it... it uh, helps me to learn another language and keep busy and doing things for the Lord. Yeah, how many 83-year-olds are learning a new language, I wonder? You're in the 99th percentile, we know that. <laughs> what did you, I got asked, too, before we end, just what did you think of Columbia? Because, you know, I've been there, too, so I can relate. Um, it was... Uh, well, of course, I had been on Indian Reserve, so it really wasn't too much different from the Indian Reserves, but there was a lot of uh, houses that looked nothing like our houses. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, they were just frame buildings, and that's where they lived. And fortunately, the weather there is not cold like it is in some of the places that we had been. So... Uh, the thing that I noticed the most when I was there was uh, when Dr. Jenny was taking us around to different places because she wanted us to, to meet the children and, and, and be able to spend time with them. Uh, when we were in the vehicle, every time we stopped at a stoplight, there was 25 or 30 motorcycles in front of us. Hmm. And... You couldn't go any place until they moved. Mm -hmm. So you sort of had to wait until 
it was time for them to go. And uh, anyways, uh, that was something unusual that we don't see in the United States or in Canada. They don't, you know, yeah. they don't block off yeah. <laughs> all the traffic. <laughs> but uh, well, anyways. Probably, I was thinking about that when you were talking about your dad getting everywhere quicker on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. That's what was in my mind is because you can get, if you can weave in between those cars in those countries, you'll get anywhere faster than a car. That's right. But, uh, anyways, uh, and we are, we were at one of the other churches and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the church, but they had, uh, we had a children's service there one time at, well, more than one time, but on Sunday, uh, they wanted us to tell the Bible story for the children and, uh. I had this one little girl that was all the time wanting to be up on my knee. And uh, she'd get down and then she'd get up and then she'd get down and she'd get up. And VI, Dr. Jenny, afterwards I learned out, learned that she had called me old grandma. <laughs> and so with all the children we met, I became grandma to like about 90 children on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I think we'll end it there. I got to get off to worship practice now. So I'm heading to the church and, you know, I've got 40, well, 50 minutes to maybe grab something to eat and then get on my way. <laughs> but I, I don't think, I don't think I needed to be here with this one. I think I could have just said, sent you something to record on and you, you could have just gone just off on your own. head and done it, but then you wouldn't know it. So. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to listen to it later <laughs> and trust, oh yeah, I couldn't upload it. I guess I'd have to listen to it first, make sure you, you're being appropriate. <laughs> well, you're I hope 80, I said everything appropriate. Well, these 83 year olds with their swear words. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, today's been a word with Bethiah, but we'll also say don't forget to end your day without a word with God. Thanks for uh, listening in. Thanks for sharing.